0: I want to give every person today a personal welcome to our church and to our television program. Today we continue with Genesis Continued. I want to send greetings today also to our friends right across the United States of America. I want them to know that Elder Matiko and I were leaving in just a few days to visit St. Petersburg, Novgorod, and Kiev and take meetings and greet our thousands of new believers. Now today stories from the book of Genesis. We're going to talk today about events that happened 4,000 years ago that changed the world back there and stories or events that are still changing people today. Stories that are filled with love and passion, romance, hatred and deception. Stories that show us where we ought to go ourselves. Today we're going to talk about the death of a princess How to Find a Wife and the Red Hairy Man and the Pious Cheat Would you please take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 23, verse 1 and 2 Genesis 23, verse 1 and 2 And we're glad that all of you today have brought your Bible because we are a Bible reading, believing church Genesis 23, verse 1 and 2 and we're going to have an exegesis of several chapters today and I'd be real pleased if you would follow me. We believe, of course, that this book was written some uh, three and a half thousand years ago by Moses, a man who was a scholar, a theologian, a prophet, a statesman, poet, and we're going to read his words here. Genesis chapter 23, verse 1 and 2. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arbor, that is, Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. They'd gone through so much together, had they? Abraham and Sarah. They had traveled together for a long, long time. They'd both come from the land of the Chaldees, Ur of the Chaldees. They'd spent most of their lives moving from pillar to post. There was the episode in their lives of Hagar and Ishmael and then they had had the wonderful joy of Isaac, the miracle boy. Isaac had now grown into manhood. He was 37 years old and his mother had passed away. He was still unmarried. Abraham was 137 years old. Ten years older than his wife. Just as Abraham was called the father of the faithful, so Sarah was really the mother of all true believers. She's our mother spiritually. She was not perfect, we've noticed that in our studies about her. Um, she doubted and she even laughed when God said you're going to have a baby. She, she said you'd have to be kidding. She was capable of being very jealous, uh, revengeful, and at times she could be as harsh as they come. But for all of that, she was a child of God. She was devoted, faithful, trusting, loving, and steadfast. She was a child of God, saved by grace. There's no other way, is there? She's the only woman mentioned in the scriptures whose age of death is recorded, 127, and her grave is the first grave mentioned in the Holy Scriptures. Sadly, it's not the last, but hers is the first grave that is mentioned in Holy Scripture. Notice verses 3 to 9. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abram, Sir, listen to us, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then you read on a little further. Verse 7, Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf, so that he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. The cave of Machpelah. I have been there. Some of you have been there with me. It became the burial place of Abraham, and then Isaac, and Rebekah, and Lear, and Jacob. When I read this this week and I thought about the cave of Machpelah, thought came home to my mind, we all must, go, must all go there one day. Death is the great leveler of men, and if the Lord delays his coming, we all must have a cave of McPeelar. All must go finally to the same place. Some years ago when I was in Australia Beverly and I drove up to Esk. I was born in Esk. A little town that if you blink your eyes as you drive through you'll miss it. A little town about 60, 70, 80 miles from Brisbane which is the capital of Queensland. And I was brought up at Somerset Dam, a great dam that they were building there, and my father worked on the dam. But I was born in the little town of Esk. And my father came with Beverly and me, and we went to the old cemetery in Esk, the Roman Catholic section of the cemetery, because all of his folks were Roman Catholics. And he was buried, his folks were buried in what they called consecrated ground. And my father took me to the tomb of his father. And my dad, who was then getting somewhat old, said to me, and Beverly and I stood there in respect, and I can remember my grandfather. I don't remember, however, my great-grandfather, whose name was Timothy Tuohy, and came from Tipperary in the south of Ireland. So you know why I get into trouble? It's the Irish in me. And we stood there and looked at the tomb and my father said we must all come here eventually. And I will never forget what Beverly said. She said it's true dad but we don't all need to stay here. My father then was not a Christian. He became a Christian. He came to one of my crusade meetings and gave his life to Christ I had an altar call and my father came forward. Isn't that something? One day there's going to be a resurrection morning at the cave of Machpelah and Sarah is going to wake up and Abraham and Isaac and Rebekah and Lear and Jacob all saved by grace Every person, my friend, has a Macpeeler, But we are all going to wake up one day if we're in Christ. I'm looking forward one day to seeing Abraham and his family, aren't you? Verses 10 and onwards. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury, you're dead. The Irish would call that blarney. That's just a bit of blarney. It's not meant to be taken seriously. And when these people, because they're orientals, when they're bargaining, when they say, I give it to you, they're going to give it to you all right. but you're going to give something (laughs) also too. And so now, the bargaining starts. And uh, verse 12 and onwards. Again Abraham bowed down before the people of the land and he said to Ephron in their hearing, listen to me, if you will, I will pay the price of the field, accept it from me, so that I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, listen to me, my lord, the land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between me and you? Bury your dead. I did some investigating about the price. 400 shekels, It's about 10 times more than they were accustomed to pay in those days. Abraham was ripped off. You see, Ephron, he was not a believer in the true God, he was a pagan. And pagans are good at ripping people off. And Ephron, the Hittite, said he's rich, he needs it, He's over a barrel, and I'm going to sock it to him. And he socked it to him. But I want you to notice the attitude of this man of God, Abraham. Verse 16, Abraham agreed to Ephraim's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field and Machpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field, was deeded to Abraham as his posterity and as his property. In the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city, afterward Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. He was taken down. I want to tell you folks something. Listen, because this might seem just a crazy thing to say. It's a million times better to be taken down than to take someone down. It's a million times to be taken advantage of than to be the person who takes advantage of. It's a million times better to be ripped off than to rip someone off because can I tell you something the people who take advantage and who are ripping people off better enjoy what they get here because they're getting nothing else let them have it, be glad they've got it because they're not going to heaven (laughs) did you hear what I said and Abraham didn't get upset over this, he didn't throw a tantrum he didn't stamp his feet he didn't shout and scream he just paid the money you know why he had lots more (laughs) and God would give him lots more And so here you have the story of a man of God who was above haggling I think it's demeaning for a Christian to get into haggling I think a Christian ought to agree upon a fair price. He ought to know what it's about. And he shouldn't try to take advantage of any person. Abraham was a man of dignity. He could walk tall and he could look every person in the eye because he was a good man and he was an honest man. Move on to the next chapter, would you? And this story is about how you can get a wife. And some people here... Just could be interested in that. Uh, Chapter 24, Abraham was now old and well-advanced in years, but the Lord had blessed him, the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. Now this is a custom. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living. Why does he say this? Why does he say this? Because God says don't marry an unbeliever. Did you know this? God says don't marry an unbeliever. Dr. Billy Graham said if you're going with a nonbeliever, if you're engaged to a non-believer then drop him and drop him fast. That's what Billy Graham says. He's right. And so the Bible says, don't marry a Canaanite. Read on with me, would you? Uh, verse 4, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Verse 5, the servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to the land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning the matter. He said, Don't take my boy back to the land of the pagans. Don't go back there. Don't take him back. Don't take my family back. Don't take my son back to Babylonia. Now this chapter, my dear friends, as I told you, is about getting a wife. That is not an entirely theoretical issue with many, many people. Many people are looking for wives, and many people are looking for husbands. In fact, I've thought of setting up a um, help you find a partner program. I get folks who write to me from my television program. Bless them. I want to help them. But what can a male, mere male, do under these circumstances? I have people write to me and say, Pastor Kata, can you get me a wife from Russia? Hmm? Steve Domenico was the first person who asked me something like that. <laughs> Sitting here in church with Katie. That's how he got you hooked, Katie. That's not, I'm just kidding, Katie. <laughs> and Rose Pitt. Rose Pitt said, can you get me a... No, she never said it at all. Is she here today? But I do get folks who write to me and they say, can you get me a wife from the Ukraine? They look so nice. What do they think I'm going to do? Go over there and kidnap some woman and bring her back? And then I have, you know, uh, men say, can you get me a wife? And ladies say, can you get me a man? Had a lady write to me later, she put in a photograph and she said, I want a good looking one. So I wrote back a letter. What are you looking at me like that, Father Medigo? Maybe you're the man who should be in charge of this area of our ministry. I better stick to preaching? Uh Uh-huh, okay, don't get me off this subject because I'm on a roll. But you know what I say to them? You just need to pray about this. You know, and the Lord will lead you and the Lord will guide you as he guided the people back here. So look at verse 10, please. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels. you know why? If you ever go and pick up a lady, you need to have plenty of room for baggage. That's the reason. Ten ten camels. David and I were talking the other day about when we used to move. This is true. David's still getting over it. I never get over it. We would be moving and we would have the car... Absolutely packed, stuff on the roof everywhere. As we're getting, just getting ready to leave, Beverly would come out with an eight-foot suitcase. (laughs) Every man, he can sympathize with this. And so, see, Ron Barkley is sympathizing. He's had a root canal this week, but he can still laugh when he thinks about this. And so, take ten camels is the message. Now this had a part in in how you select a wife too, just keep this in mind. Verse 10, Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening the time when the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels also. Uh, Let her be the one you've chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying. Now these chapters are are marvelous chapters dear folks. They are marvelous chapters. There are a lot of firsts in these chapters. This is the first recorded prayer in the Bible. The first recorded prayer in the Bible is a prayer to get a wife. Isn't that something? Shows you that the Lord must think it's pretty important. So here is the first recorded prayer. And he says, Lord, when the girl comes out and I say, he's got to the town, please give me a drink of water. The girl will say, yes, and I'll get you water for 10 camels. And remember, camels have got big tummies. That's a lot of water, folks. That's a lot of water. Do you know how far those camels had gone to get to this town? From Abraham up to this place? Five hundred miles. Fire! Isn't that something, Janine? You never knew that, did you? No, you find out something when you come to church. Five hundred miles. And the camels were thirsty. And so he said, let it be an understanding, God, that the girl who gives me a drink and fills up the stomachs of ten camels. She's the one. So read on. Verse 15. Before he'd finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcar, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. See, it repeats it twice, she's a virgin. Because God says, when you get married, you ought to be a virgin. That's what God says, you see. And, she, and, and it repeats it here, the girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my Lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to, to her hands and gave him a drink. After she'd given him a drink she said, I'll draw water for your camels too after they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trowel, ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becker and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? Now, my friend, that prayer was the first recorded prayer in the Bible and it shows how God works. How does God lead us? Uh, People often ask me this question. They write to me and they say, I have a problem in my life. I don't know whether I should move out of this district, whether I should go somewhere else. How does God lead us? Let me tell you some ways that God leads. This is important. Firstly, God leads through his word. God will never ask you to do anything that is contrary to his word. So the will of God, my friend, is in harmony with the written word of God. That's tremendously important. Now can I be specific? God never leads you to marry a Philistine. People say... Should I stay with my church or should I leave my church? God leads according to the word. The word tells us plainly what is right and what is wrong. Number one, the word. Number two, through providence. This is important. God opens doors. God closes doors. A person says, how do I know which way to go? I'm praying. Is it according to the word? Yes. Then watch for the providences. God will close doors in your face and God will say, No, as he said to us with Moscow once, but he opened a door to Nizhny Novgorod. When I received a call to come here to Southern California, I couldn't afford to come because I didn't have enough money to buy a piece of property here so I could live. But I had a little piece of property in Australia and I'd been trying to sell it for years. It sold when I got the call so I could finance my coming here. You see, God opens doors, God closes doors, and he leads, number three, through the counsel of balanced, mature, godly friends. Don't listen to everybody, but a person who has a track record of stability and faithfulness and who has a name for wisdom. Listen to that person. And fourthly, God leads through the deep movings of the Holy Spirit but be careful about that one because many people my friend confuse what they want to do with the voice of the Spirit of God how many people have come to me and they say God told me to do this that's God didn't tell them at all who told them they told themselves because that's what they want to do but if everything else is in order, the word of God, providential leadings, the counsel of godly, wise, mature, tried Christian friends, then, my friend, the Spirit of God will bless you with a mighty conviction. And God will show you what to do. And so God was leading here. God was leading according to his word, and he was leading according Providence. Now these verses are very important verses because they tell us how you can find a wife. And number one test for a wife in this chapter is this. If you want a great wife, make sure she can water ten camels. This is a fundamental test I want to say to the men here. If you're looking for a great wife, give her the camel test. <laughs> Just kidding, folks, because Beverly's getting so mad at me, I'm going to cop it all weekend. Now the Bible says, Rebecca came. You think she came by chance? She came by appointment. She came by providence. But this in itself, to me, is a real problem. It really is. I don't know if any of you have thought it through she came by providence she came by appointment which proves the sovereignty of god god was in charge of everything that was happening here but where was her free will was she simply a pawn was she simply a part was she just a piece on the chessboard it has been said the two doctrines the free will of man and the doctrine of the sovereignty of God cannot be resolved in this lifetime, will only be resolved in the mind of God. She came because she chose to come. She wanted the camels because she chose to do so. She was in the right place at the right time to meet the right person, because God planned it from all eternity. And yet she chose it. That is the mystery of God. She wasn't obligated by custom to do more than give the man a drink, but she gave the camels also a drink. Verse 24, she answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milca bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. My friend, if you are in the will of God, you can know that God is leading you and you can know that God is with you. If you are in the will of God. The girl, verse twenty-eight. The girl ran and told her master's household about these things. Now Rebecca had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring as soon as he'd seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, and heard had heard had heard Rebecca tell what the man said to her. He went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come you are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I prepared the house and a place for the camels. Now this Laban we discover later on is first cousin to Ebenezer Scrooge. (laughs) And the Bible tells us, he said what's going on here? And he goes out and he sees the goal and he says, come on in. (laughs) We question his motives. But nevertheless, God used him. You know later on how he took Jacob down and deceived him. This is the man, Laban, more interested in money than in God. Verse 32, so the man went to the house and the camels were unloaded, straw and fodder. And so forth, verse 33, then food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I've told you what I have to say. Then tell us, Laban said, so he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly. And he goes on, my friend, and he tells him the story and he tells how he made a bargain with God that the girl who came out and the girl who gave him a drink and a girl who fed the camels she would be the one and she was a relative she was a part of this great clan she was a child of God and they say the thing is from God we can't answer you good or bad so he said let me take the girl and be gone they said no we." It's our custom. This takes a long time. Going to be a lot of talking, a lot of haggling. And so the man says, I must go on my way because God is in this. So they say, we'll ask the girl. And they explain the circumstances to this girl, and she says, it is the will of God I will go. Here is a girl safe and secure in her own home but she can read the providence of God and she says I will go and then the servant brings out the gold gives old Ebenezer Scrooge Laban a bit of it gives the mother some gold and puts the gold upon the girl then they load up the camels and they make their way to the land of Canaan isn't this a great story what a wonderful, marvelous, beautiful story. Verse 59. So they sent their sister Rebekah on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her maids got ready, and mounted their camels and went back to, with the man. Five hundred miles. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now, Isaac had come from Beer Lahai Roi, for he was living in the Negev, in the desert. He went out to the fields one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. What do you think he was meditating about? I think he was meditating about God answering his prayers and giving him a wife. So he goes out in the cool of the evening and he's meditating. He's in a wonderful frame of mind and he sees the camels coming. You see they didn't have email in those days. They didn't have telephones. The servant didn't use his cell phone to call up Abraham and say I've done the deal. So Isaac is waiting and he sees the camels. Verse 64 Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Very modest. Did you know, you'll find this interesting, It was the custom in those days that the husband never saw the bride's face until after the wedding ceremony. That's why these people are said to be people with so much faith. (laughs) And so he never saw her face until after the wedding service. And it became a wonderful wedding. Verse 66. Then the servant told Isaac all he'd done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. What a beautiful, beautiful story. She took the place of Sarah, who was the leading lady. She became the leading lady. And the Bible says he loved her and that wasn't hard. The Bible says she was beautiful, and we know that she was kind, and cheerful, and generous, and considerate, and could handle ten camels. She was a perfect wife. Now, chapter 25, the first verses, Beverly told me I should not quote today, but I should pass them over. But inasmuch as I'm dedicated fully to the preaching of the whole Word of God, I can't leave out those passages that she doesn't want to have put in. Chapter 25. I can hardly read it, but I'm putting my life on the line, but I've done it before. Abraham went out into the desert by himself and stayed there for good. No, no, it says, Abraham took another wife. He was a hundred and forty. I don't want any laughing as I read this. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Now we won't go any further. Beverly said to me, Leave out this bit about Abraham getting married again at 140. This was a day when she wasn't feeling so well and thought she might die and thought I might live on. I said, to her, "Look, it's not going to happen. You don't have to worry. I don't expect I'll make it to 140, but she's still. She's even cut back on my vitamin tablets and everything now." And mm-hmm. I sort of thought this morning when I had breakfast, it seemed to taste a bit bitter. She said, "Might be tonight, though." <laughs> Might have survived breakfast, but coming up tonight. I'm just kidding, folks. Is it all right sometimes to kid? I'm sorry, but I, you know, like Spurgeon, I'm a little, like Spurgeon, who would tell stories, and people got mad at him because he was a little jovial. He said, you know, have no idea how many I don't tell. You ought to thank God for the temptations. I do resist. I have a thousand temptations. Now, verse 7, we're going to miss down here. I think we better look at verse 6. But while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his... And you know, God is patient, isn't he? Sure is. The sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. Lived for another 35 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years. And he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre in the field of Ephron, son of Zorah the Hittite. The field Abraham had brought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac who then lived near Bir Lahai Ro'ai. And so you have another funeral service, and there you've got Ishmael and Isaac who had been alienated, but they're there together at the death of their father. I want you to read on now a little further, because we come now to the hairy red man. Verse 19. This is the account of Abraham's son Isaac, Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. They'd been married for 19 years, and they had no offspring. And instead of Isaac taking a concubine, he took it to the Lord in prayer. Don't you think that was a better solution? Beverly thinks I'm back on target. (laughs) Okay. Verse 22. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you will be separated one people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger he's talking here about the Israelites who came from Jacob and he's talking also about the Edomites who came from Esau verse 24 when the time came for her to give birth there were twin boys in her womb the first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment so they named him Esau after this his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. He had a heart for God, but the other boy had no care for God. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom, which means red. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is this birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. What's this about the birthright? The birthright made the person, the head of the clan, it made him the family priest, and it gave him a double portion of the inheritance, and rich spiritual blessings, but Esau couldn't have cared less. But may I mention this too. This was not Jacob's finest hour. A man who drives a hard bargain at the expense of another. Even his brother is rather despicable. And it came back to haunt him. His very name Jacob means a deceiver. A heel. We talk about it today. He's a heel. Jacob was not at his best here and neither was Esau and the Bible says then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew he ate and drank and then got up and left so Esau despised his birthright what is selling the birthright today? it's giving up my friend that which is great, giving up something of eternity for something of small importance. It is giving up, my friend, something of great value for a passing moment of pleasure. It is giving up the eternity of heaven for a short season of sin. I say to you, don't sell your birthright. What do these ancient stories teach us, dear hearts? Death comes to all. We all have a cave at Machpelah. But what a great getting up day is coming. The great getting up day when the saints get up out of that cave and every other cave. When my father gets up out of his Machpelah. And God can supply the, can supply the desire of your hearts, even with a wife or a husband, whatever it is, if it is the will of God, but watch for the providences. God on his faith, watch for the providences. And thirdly, hold fast to your birthright. Don't sell it, my friend, for a dish. Of lentils. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So